Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. On the podcast, we talk often about leadership, and that's the theme again for today. But today, we're going to talk about a theme or an idea called situational leadership. Now, before you react, because you might be having some of the same negative thoughts I did the first time I heard that phrase, let me explain what we mean by situational leadership by me telling you a little bit of a story about how I came in to understand the concept. And then after that, I want to introduce you to my special guest who's going to talk with us today about this topic. When I first heard the phrase situational leadership, I immediately thought something like situational ethics, like leaders were supposed to morph into certain kinds of leaders in certain kinds of situations with kind of a flexible ethic, if you will. That is not at all what we mean. No, I've come to embrace situational leadership and to understand how important it is that we are good diagnosticians and make intentional choices about applying our leadership styles in very specific, here it is, situations. Now, the first time I was introduced to this phrase, situational leadership, was by my special guest today on the podcast, Dr. Jim Wilson. Uh, Jim is the director of the Doctor of Ministry program here at Gateway Seminary. He served with us for the past 16 years. Uh, prior to that, for 20-plus years, he was a pastor and a, an effective leader in that context. He's written a shelf full of books and maintains a ministry uh, leadership website himself. He's a wonderful colleague and a brother, and he and I love team teaching together because of the opportunity we have to impact future leaders. Jim really understands this concept of situational leadership, and that's why I've asked him on the podcast today to talk with us about it. So, Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Dr. Orge. Well, you and I have had so many good experiences teaching doctor of ministry seminars, and we don't want this podcast to turn into one of those. <laughs> but quite frankly, it's a little bit of a taste because this is some of the kind of teaching we do in our doctor of ministry program. Yes, uh, this particular theory developed in the 60s, became really popular in the 90s, has become uh, one of the theories that's foundational to our understanding of how to be an effective servant leader and to be an effective ministry leader. That's excellent. Well, let's get into it then. Situational leadership. If you were going to put it into a definition or maybe a short description, what is situational leadership? Situational leadership is when a leader determines that he, will, he or she will use styles instead of have a style of leadership and will select that style based upon the person and the task that uh, the leadership arena is, uh, is calling for. Well, that is a pretty profound statement, Jim, because quite frankly, it just blew up a lot of theory that some people have about leader style. People often ask me, you know, what's your leadership style? Well, I try to be polite and kind when someone asks me that question, but re really the question reveals they don't know anything about leadership because there is no one leadership style. And this concept of situational leadership is really about selecting your style based on some of those factors you just mentioned, the person you're leading, the situation, and the tasks, and what they call for. And so what you're saying is that situational leadership is about making intentional choices to choose how you lead in any given situation. And in our context, I understand that leadership is ministry. And ministry is meeting a need that's in someone else, not a need that's in me. Unfortunately, the Blanchard Company estimates that 44% 
of all leaders use only one style. Mm. And of those that adapt, 50% use the wrong style for the occasion that they're leading. And so it's a great need for us to learn to minister to the person in front of us, understanding the mutuality between being the leader and those that we lead. We need one another, and our goal is to serve them and equip them to effectively complete the task we've given them to do. Now, when you're coming into a situation that requires leadership, uh, there's really three key aspects that helps you choose how to lead in that moment. Uh, Let's use three key words, diagnosis, flexibility, and contracting. Yes. So let's talk about each one of those three for just a moment. So you're a leader, you come into a situation, and you're going to choose your leadership style. First step is diagnosis. What are you diagnosing? Well, of course, you've diagnosed what needs to be done already, and you've selected the person that's going to lead out in that. But you need to diagnose what it is they need to effectively accomplish the task. For instance, they may need direction from you. You may be asking them to do something they don't know how to do, they've never done before, and you need to lay it out for them step by step. On the other hand, it may be somebody that's a veteran at that kind of a task, and if that's the case, all you need to do is empower them and turn them loose. Uh, but uh, you, have to, you have to diagnose what their need is to be able to successfully accomplish uh, the mission that you've given them. So this really focuses not so much, as you've said, on the leader, but focuses on the follower or the person you're ministering to or trying to help in the leadership situation. That's a pretty profound statement because it shifts the focus from choosing your leadership style to suit you to instead choosing a leadership style that really suits the other person and the needs they have in the moment. Yes, and Dr. Orge, it's all about the mission. It's not about my personality, what my needs are, what my ego needs are. It's how do we get this mission accomplished? You've selected someone to carry the ball. Now you've got to determine what their needs are. And then the roles, and this is why I talk about the leadership mutuality, is that now you began, you become the servant to provide for them what they need to be able to serve you and the institution. That's excellent. That's excellent. So the second word I mentioned was flexibility. And uh, I think we define that as the, the ability to use a variety of leadership styles. But flexibility means that a leader has is both comfortable and intentional about choosing those styles. So why do you think it's so hard for some leaders to have a flexibility about their leadership style? Because we have a gravitational pull to one. There's one that we excel at, and so that's what we want to use. You know, it's like a, a, a baseball player trying to golf. They know how to swing, but they've got to swing differently when they pick up the golf club. And when we're leading people, uh, let's say that you're an encouraging person and you always want to support people and you want to come beside them. Well, if what they need is direction, stop patting them on the back and tell them what they need to do to be able to accomplish it. The problem is when we lead to meet a need inside of ourselves instead of to accomplish the mission. And there's a gravitational pull in every one of us to do this. Personally, I prefer the supporting and the encouraging. My title is director. A lot of my work is directing, not necessarily what I prefer to do, but it's what I'm called to do. 
and then I must be uh, uh, flexible in that there are times that one style is needed and not the other. Well, that's excellent, Jim, and it really does uh, reveal one of the struggles we have in this issue of situational leadership, and that is what you call this gravitational pull yeah. back to that, what we might call default or more natural style that we commonly use as a leader. And so it's essential, as we said, that you're not only using a leadership style that you're comfortable with, but that you use a leadership style that you've chosen intentionally in the moment. So we've talked about diagnosis. We've talked about flexibility. Now, another uh, concept in situational leadership is called contracting, or contracting for the leadership style. And when you're contracting or deciding or are agreeing with the other person what that's going to be like. What are two or three of the factors that you have to consider in this phase of contracting during the situational leadership selection? Well, the term contracting is a bit unfortunate in that it it implies that you're on equal standing and you're negotiating. If you're the leader, you're the leader. But you cannot lead if you cannot listen. You have to listen to the person that you're leading and to be able to determine what their needs are so that you then can supply those needs so they then can meet your needs and the needs of the organization. And so it becomes this circular thing. So it depends on where they are. For instance, at the directing phase, uh, the contracting, uh, there's not as much give and take. But when you've delegated, uh, when someone is fully prepared to do it, they know how, they're motivated to do it, we don't necessarily tell them specifically, use this strategy. Exactly. We may say, here's how I would do it, or here's a suggestion, but then ultimately we turn it over to them because they're a competent person. Right. And to do less than that would discourage them. It would actually make, put them into another category where they're no longer capable of being delegated to. Well, I want to talk for a moment now about a couple of examples to help us flesh this out, and then we're going to shift gears and look at the whole uh, concept uh, from another uh, point of view. But before we do that, let's talk about a couple of examples. Let's say, for example, that you're a pastor and you have a volunteer youth minister or youth director in your church. Uh, this person has uh, never been a youth minister before, never done any kind of ministry like this, but they're, they're young, they're eager, they're willing, and, and they want to do a good job, all right? Now, in that person's, in your relationship with that person, you're going to have to choose a leadership style. And so you're going to choose to be uh, maybe more directing uh, because the person doesn't know what to do and sure. doesn't know what you expect. Okay, that's, that's, that's a one model. But let's say you're the same pastor and you have a different volunteer person in your church who manages your church's financial records. Well, that person is the controller of the company where they work, and they've been a member of your church for 10 years, and they've been doing this financial uh, record-keeping for your church for maybe three or four years. You're not going to need to be near as directing with that person. And in fact, if you are directing of them in the same way you would be directing this new youth minister, you're going to wind up with a really frustrated volunteer. Or an ex-volunteer. <laughs> Yeah, they're That's not going to stick with you. Put it. That's a good way to put it, an ex-volunteer. So this is an example of what we mean by a pastor choosing two very different leadership styles, uh, 
based on diagnosing the situation, meaning diagnosing the needs of the person, the needs of the situation, and what needs to be accomplished, and then making a choice about what kind of leadership to give each one of these people based on that diagnosis and that understanding of the flexible choices that are needed. And then, in addition to doing that, Dr. Ord, you need to also prepare them for what's going to come next. Because this new youth minister that you've described is going, you've given them the direction, they're ready, they're already eager, so you're not having to support them much, they're ready to go. But if you've been at this a while, you know that they're going to hit a wall. There's going to be a a conflict that's going to happen, or there's going to be a problem that's going to come along. And you know that not long from now, they're going to be back in the office, and they're going to be needing some supportive uh, energy from you. And so as you say goodbye to that person, as you've given them the list, you remind them, it seems like you know what you're doing. I want you to know you're not doing this alone. I am here. And if you need me, come and see me. In fact, I'm going to be checking on you from time to time. Right. So what you're saying is that uh, while we've given these two scenarios of the youth minister and the financial record keeper, and we've talked about how different leadership styles with those two, now you're saying with just the youth pastor – as that person develops and moves along and their situation changes and their skill set changes and their needs change, now you have to even make a choice to have a different leadership style toward this same person based on how things are evolving in the ministry context. Yes, because, and it's not just that, it's going to be with the task that you're asking them to do. Mm. If that same accountant you were talking about, the very capable person, if we needed him to be a chaperone or her to be a chaperone on a youth trip, You wouldn't completely delegate. Right. Because the task has changed, you might bring them over into that quadrant that says they need direction and they need help. And so what you're now saying is, okay, we started out with this person that we were giving a lot of freedom to and maybe just some supportive encouragement to keep doing the work they're doing. But now because they've changed tasks into some area where they may not have a lot of skill or background, now we're going to become a highly... um, directive leader toward them because their task and situation has changed. Even though they're the same person, they need a different kind of leadership from you. Yes, that's why it's all three of these elements. It's the person, the task, and the situation. And and frankly, there may be someone that I'm serving uh, that I use three styles with in the same day based upon what they're doing and my diagnosis of it. And, you know, one of the best ways to diagnose is to ask the person, mm. uh, do, do you know how to do this? Right. And also, what do you need from me to be successful? Are, to- you, are you discouraged? Is this different? You know, it's not the same question every time. Mm-hmm. But that's why I said a moment ago, if you're not listening, you're not leading. Right. You have to be listening to the people you serve. And you have to realize that even though they report to you, you are their servant. You are their uh, – Dr. Orge, I could not be successful without your leadership. Mm-hmm. There is a dependence upon the decisions you make and the things you do uh, that allows me to direct uh, your DMN program well. That is essential. And that's the same thing that's true uh, at the local church level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that – it's an attitudinal change. To where we no longer think of this person as my youth director right? and start to view them as a colleague in ministry and come beside them to give them what they need to be successful. And then when the successful event happens, uh, 
be willing uh, to um, give them appropriate accommodations for it, either privately or publicly. Well, we've been talking about situational leadership and particularly talking about it in terms of local church context. And I've given this illustration of a brand new youth pastor or maybe a veteran financial uh, record keeping person and how we would lead them in different situations and how we would change our leadership style based on their changing in their situations. But I want to come back and say that this isn't just something that applies at basic levels of leadership. I've put these same principles into practice recently in bringing two new vice presidents to work here at Gateway Seminary. Uh, We've been through a profound organizational change here at the seminary, and I've talked about it some on the podcast uh, in the past several months. We had two longtime veteran vice presidents who were retiring and two new people who were coming into their roles. And we had a a overlapping transition phase of uh, change that made it possible for us to bring these men on in sort of a smooth, we hoped, uh, intentional and progressive kind of fashion. And a part of that smooth, intentional, progressive fashion was that when they first arrived, I was very directive and met with them very often and was very much engaged in a hands-on way in providing leadership to them as they started into their work. But within a few weeks, that started changing. Within a few months, it really started changing. And now, after both of them have been here a year or longer, Uh, My leadership style has changed even more toward them to become much more supportive of of who they are and encouraging of the work they're doing and less directive along the way. And so even in the context of the most senior level leadership in an organization like ours, these principles still work. Now, we're going to shift gears here on the podcast, and in order to do that, I need to do something that's kind of hard in this media. Uh, I need you to, if you uh, want to, just stop the podcast in a second, go find a piece of paper and bring it back and make a diagram for us so that we can talk you through the rest of this material. On this piece of paper that you have, I want you to draw a large plus sign. And the uh, vertical axis on the plus is the word support. And the horizontal line on the plus is the word direct. Now, This plus sign on your piece of paper should form four quadrants or four squares. So let's start with the lower left, and I want you to write the word delegating. Delegating. And then the upper left, write the word supporting. Supporting. The upper right, the word coaching. Coaching. And then the lower right, the word directing. Directing. So going around the circle from lower left, delegating, supporting, coaching, and directing. The vertical axis is support. The horizontal axis is direct. Now, the reason we're having you draw this diagram, and if you've turned off the podcast, turn it back on now. Here we go. Uh, The reason we have you draw this diagram is because this diagram will help you to understand the flow or the movement in this process of situational leadership. So, for example, the direct axis, as it moves from left to right, directing increases. Support, as it moves from top to bottom, it goes from low to high. So as you look at this, you would be able to see that uh, a person who is providing a high direction and perhaps low support would be choosing a directing style of leadership. Do you see how this works now on your diagram? 
Well, we're going to talk about that now just a little bit more with Dr. Jim Wilson, who's uh, taught situational leadership here in our doctor of ministry program for years and help us to understand something of what it means to move through these quadrants. So we've already talked about these concepts of diagnosis and flexibility and contracting. And so now we're saying, all right, as we're diagnosing a situation and diagnosing the needs of a person and diagnosing what needs to be done, we can say, does this situation call for low direction or high direction? Does it call for low support or high support? Now, you might think, oh, we're ministry leaders. We should always give high support. Well, in this context, we're not talking about just uh, encouragement or something like that. We're talking about showing up on a regular basis to be the support person in the relationship to get the work done. And in leadership, we know that's not always the best option, being that engaged with someone that we're providing the opportunity or that we're leading and providing the opportunity to accomplish some significant ministry. Sometimes support needs to be lower and direction higher or lower depending on the situation. So we look at this chart and we see that direct we can be low or high on direction and low or high on support. And when we find ourselves in those four quadrants, we are either delegating, supporting, coaching, or directing. Now, back to the conversation. We've already said that not one of these is better than the other. But if you were looking at this uh, chart, Jim, would you say that one of these is more common than others in ministry leadership, or would you say that's also a misunderstanding of what it means to be a situational leader? I, I would not know what the most common one is. Um, I, what I would say is that we must be able to function in all of these leadership styles because the needs that are presented to us by the people we serve require it. So even though I might like to be a coach or I might see myself as a good delegator, uh, just because I might think it's the one I like the best or the one I observe the most, that doesn't make it the most common or the one we should all be striving for or anything like that. Frankly, I think it's irrelevant what we like and what we want. What matters is the mission mm -hmm. and how are we going to accomplish it. And we now have a task in front of us and a person assigned to accomplish this task. What do they need? And so and typically it begins with direction. Uh, if you give somebody a new task, a new job, you need to tell them what you're thinking. You need to tell them uh, what to do, maybe even how to do it if they haven't done something similar uh, to it before. Uh, you're not necessarily going to need to motivate them because they're good to go. But it's predictable that that person is going to hit a wall. They're going to be discouraged. And then you still need to provide direction because it didn't work. And now you also have to give the support. And so now you're in the coaching quadrant. Okay, let's stop just for a second there. So you've said that in most relationships, we start out with directing, giving people direction, uh, helping them know what to do, giving them maybe even instruction on how to do it, et cetera. And they're going to start out and they're going to be very energetic and very enthusiastic and want to get that job done. But they're going to, as you say, hit the wall. They're going to run into a place where they either hit some conflict or they run into their first discouragement or they run into a point where they're not quite as effective as they thought they would be. That's when you have to come alongside. And now we're going up the axis to hire support. And we're going to provide what we call coaching on this little diagram we've drawn because we're going to come alongside of them and say, oh, now you've hit a point where you need some new information. You need a pat on the back. You need somebody to come along with you. You need somebody to show you how to do it. Let me take you out and model it for you. 
That is that what you mean by coaching in this context? Yes, I do. And and you know, a common illustration would be a husband and wife that shares a kitchen, and one of them decides to rearrange things. Well, you can tell that person where it's rearranged, but the next morning you're knocking the sleep out of your eyes and you're trying to get breakfast together, and you go as a habit to the old place. Then you're going to need to ask, where is it? And you probably do it with a strong tone of voice, <laughs> like, why did you move this? Why is it over there? Well, whenever you give somebody a new task, it's like that. It's not routine. The groove is not there. The memory, the muscle memory is not there. And so, um, I mean, you have to read the room. You have to listen. You can't lead without listening. And when you listen, you find out if they're discouraged, then you, pro- you provide the appropriate encouragement. And by the way, that's not always soft. Mm-hmm. Sometimes encouragement is, okay, I've heard you. Get it done. Right. You know, it's not always a, a, a hug. Yeah. Yeah. So we're directing and then we're coaching and then we still are in high support, but now we're over into supporting. So what do you mean by that word in this concept or in this quadrant? Yes, it's the person that knows how to do it. They've been doing it a while, and maybe they're bored with the task. Um, You know, it's the middle of the task that becomes the most mundane. Uh, The beginning, there's energy, and as you see the light at the end of the tunnel, there's more. And sometimes you need to come alongside with some kind of incentive or some kind of encouragement to keep at it. I, we're not done yet. Let's let's keep at this. Let's get this done. Uh, let's finish what we've started. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, finally, delegating is the fourth quadrant, and that's the uh, the lowest support and the lowest direction where we've actually now we've directed a person, coached them, and supported them. Uh, maybe gone through some waves of this, but now we reach a point where delegation is maybe the most common, or not the most common, it's the appropriate, yeah, the appropriate uh, leadership style with that person because. They basically know what to do. They know how to do it. They're motivated to get the job done, and you have delegated them to, the, to them the responsibility, and they're carrying it out. Yes, and delegation is a good point for us to make two points. I don't know how many times when I've taught this that I've said low, 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 and people have heard no. Right. Low does not mean no. There's always support and there's always direction. That's there's a good never word. a time that you're not the leader. That's a good word. And uh, even your most accomplished people that you work with every now and then need you uh, to direct them, to nudge them, uh, and, and to support them. And, and let me just give an example of that. Uh, you know, recently I tasked a vice president to a new responsibility. I said, I, I want you to work on this project, and I, I want you to uh, come back with uh, a report in about 60 days, and here's the general uh, overarching goal of what this report needs to answer. And he said, yeah, I got that. And so it was pretty quickly that I could move from delegating to coaching to supporting I, excuse me, from directing to delegate from <laughs> let's start over. It's pretty easy that I could move from directing to coaching to supporting and on to delegating with him because he's a very much experienced leader, very proven. We've worked together on other projects. I knew all that. But even then, when we got to the end, I said, but I want you to be sure that you talk to this person and this person, and I want you to be sure that you visit this location and this location when you do your work. So even though I was delegating almost to an extreme, I still went back to directing and said, I'm directing you to do these two or three things in this larger project so you don't miss them because I know how important they're going to be to the ultimate outcome. So you're right. There's never no 
direction, just because you're delegating to a competent person, there's always still the need to say, oh, let's be sure this happens or that happens or you don't miss this key point. You cannot delegate responsibility. Ultimately, you're responsible as the leader. So it's not no, it's low. And the second thing, I want to underscore the mutuality here once again, because as a leader, you need to delegate. You cannot do it all. You need to delegate because time management, energy management, the mission is bigger than you. That's one of the reasons you're the the leader and there's followers. But they also need to be delegated too Mm -hmm. because that's where they grow and where they flourish and where they develop their leadership. And our goal is not just to accomplish the mission, but it is to build men and women of God who become more and more competent to be able to do things. Now, the problem comes when we push delegation and they're not ready, or we refuse to delegate when they are because we're not ready. Mm-hmm. We won't turn loose. That's right. And, uh, you know, my current reality is I'm delegating things I love to do because it's what the mission demands. Right. And I have competent people around me that can do it. Right. And the ultimate goal is not to be fulfilled, the ultimate goal is to accomplish the mission. Such a good word. And so delegating is a good point to remember that this is low, not no. That's a good word. It's a really good word. Well, today on the podcast, we've been talking about situational leadership. Uh, To boil it down, it's simply this. You have the responsibility as a leader to diagnose both the needs of your followers, the situation in which you find yourself, and the accomplishments that you're trying to get done. And once you've diagnosed those things with flexibility, meaning with comfort and intentionality, you have to choose how to lead in any given situation. We've given you this diagram to help you understand it. You'll be directing, coaching, supporting, and delegating. There's high direction and low direction, never no direction. There's high support and low support, never no support. But as we recognize the situation and the person who's following us and what needs to be accomplished, we make the choice of what kind of leadership style is needed in the moment to do, as Jim has said multiple times on this podcast, not so much primarily bring us fulfillment, but primarily bringing fulfillment to the other person. And even more than that, getting the mission accomplished. Situational leadership. It's you having the courage, the discipline, and the insight to know how to lead, how to choose to lead, how to be intentional about your leader style choices in any given situation. I'm challenging you to do that this week as you lead on.